Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Thank you so much, Courtney. If we haven't met, uh, my name's Arnaldo. I'm the pastor here at Anchor Southwest, and it is a real pleasure to be here. Now, uh, I want to just quickly uh, issue a super quick apology uh, for last week. Uh, there were some issues uh, not with production, but with myself. I'd lost my sermon on the way here, and so uh, we're going to be doing some recap today uh, and uh, sort of catching up on the things that I didn't get to say last week. I had to rely on my very failing memory, um, and so there was no YouTube link. There was no podcast last week, so that's just my apology uh, to you. Uh, so I want to give you a quick overview of last week's sermon before we jump into this week. I want to remind you of uh, what we covered, uh, which was that humanity is created in the imago Dei, that's Latin, the, the image of God as embodied, as engendered, and as spiritual persons. Humanity, we learned, is embodied, that we are, we're made up of the same stuff of the world, uh, that we share our creative day with the beasts of the field. I think I, I said we, we share the day with the cow and the cockroach. Uh, we, what is found in our bodies is found in the world. Our DNA, the, the molecules that contain uh, the instructions for how living things are built and how they function, this, this special code that determines our characteristics and traits, much of it is shared between us and the rest of the world. For instance, uh, 98 to 99% between us and apes, but peep this, that's maybe not so surprising, uh, but 50 to 60% with a banana. Right? Like We share the same kind of stuff. We're, we're, we're embodied people. All this to say that we, we share the, the basic same building blocks of the world. We don't, uh, we don't have bodies, and that's how we often talk about it in our culture and even in the church, that we have a body. We don't have a body. We don't have bodies. We are bodies. That's who we are. We, we, we don't transcend the body, and, and we don't subscribe to the lie that says that we can transcend the body as if uh, what what. what what we really are is just sort of like this meat sack that carries around our minds where we really are, quote, unquote. Uh, the immaterial is not of a higher order than the material. Right? We learn that our bodies are actually good news and they will not be left behind when Jesus returns. So humanity is embodied, yes, but it is also engendered. Uh, uh, we come as male and female. Furthermore, our gender is seen all the way down into our chromosomal structure. Uh, chromosomes are packaging uh, sort of units of DNA, and they're key places where our genetic information is stored. So our eye color and, and hair color and the fact that I've been uh, uh, lying about the, you know, I'm not 5'9", all right? Uh, I'm 5'7", five, I'm five, I'm all right? That's just what it is. Uh, I've been outed. Uh, that's in my sort of DNA of that's how tall I'm going to be. I'm still trying, but I, I'm not, it's not working. Uh, and males, for instance, have an XY chromosomal structure, and females have an XX chromosomal structure where our, our sex is uh, encoded. So down to our very core, down to our very uh, bone, uh, bones are, are engenderment. Uh, the fact that we are gendered persons is hardwired into our biology. It so happens that gender is not uh, simply a social construct. Now, that is not to say that after years and millennia, 
that there hasn't been very harmful societal norms that have been assigned to male and females that the gospel reverses and heals and exposes. But I want to stress what scripture stresses and uh, sort of stay silent uh, where scripture is silent or be cautious there. But the, the thing is, while, while conservatives tend to want to just highlight the differences, uh, uh, more progressive liberals want to just snuff out all the differences. Uh, but scripture does neither, and it does both. It highlights how very similar uh, the genders are, how very similar male and female are. In fact, the very first thing that is said when both male and female are created is not how different we are, uh, but how, sa- how the same we are. Then the man said when he sees his wife, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right? Uh, this is similarity. That, that's a liberal Adam talking. Uh, and then uh, she shall be called woman uh, because she was taken out of man. That, that, there's sexual differentiation between male and female. That's a, the more conservative Adam speaking. Right? We are engendered people. This radical similarity and this radical sexual differentiation, it allows Adam and Eve to fulfill the earth, to to fulfill the mandate to reproduce more images of God in the world. And this is, frankly, a hill that we will fight and die on, the reality that we are not only embodied, but that we are engendered. Male and female, he created them. And finally, we learn that we're also spiritual beings. Genesis 2-7 speaks about God taking this lump of clay, this, this dirt, and breathing his very life into this, this being, and it becoming an nefesh, this, it becoming a soul, a living creature. Right? In our culture, when we hear soul, we think immaterial, we think uh, uh, internal, we think something we can't see, but uh, the Hebrew scriptures don't think about it that way. A soul, in the same way that we don't have a body, but we are a body, Well, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. We are living creatures. We were created as embodied, engendered, and spiritual beings because that's exactly what God wanted and what what he created to need in order for us to bear God's image, to be God's people for the sake of the world. You see, the image of God we learned last week is not so much a list of character traits, uh, it's not that we're relational. It, it's, it's not that we can communicate, although those things are necessary. The image of God is not the fact that we can communicate and think and reason and reflect and be relational. Those things are necessary, but that in and of itself is not the image of God. The image of God is a calling. It's a vocation. It's a job that we've been given, a way of being in the world. And this is why, this is why our bodies matter. God created a physical world, and so he put physical beings in it. Uh, He created a physical world that was empty, and so he created physical beings that were engendered so that they can reproduce and fill the world. God created a a physical world with engendered people that was chaotic, and so he put his life in us so that we can bring his order and his love and his, what the Hebrew scriptures called his shalom into the world. And so he wanted embodied, engendered spiritual beings to fulfill the task. You see, to be made in the image of God is to be given the task to rule and reign the earthly realm with, for, and on behalf of, of God. He left us in charge. And we touched on this briefly last week, but what have we done with that? 
What have we done with the task of taking care of the world? So often, when things go wrong, we point the finger at God and we say, where are you? And I'm not saying that's a, that's a terrible question. Uh, I'm saying that's not the only question we must ask because it's often the fact that God will ask us, well, wh- where are you? I-, I left you in charge of this world. What, so what have we done with our dominion? As image bearers of God, we've been gifted our sexuality to display God's grace and his goodness and his joy. And what have we done with our sexuality, the same very hands that were created to unfurl beauty and order, unfurl chaos and create bombs, right? That's, that's who we are. That's what we do. The sexuality that was designed to display God's multifaceted joy and goodness is the very same sexuality that rapes and molests and is bent all over the place. The power that we've been given to tame creation is now used to enslave others. The problem isn't that there's a problem with God's creative plan and order and will. The problem is that as kings and queens, which we are, by the way, as Adam and Eve was, by the way, is that we have allowed sin and chaos to take over. The man of dust and dirt rebelled, and with it the earth, the creator, order, the entire cosmos, everything has been touched. Everything has been devolved into disarray. And this is exactly what I want to explore today, just how deep and how wide the fracture is. And this is, this is what I need us to get today. How deep and how wide the fracture is between God's creative intention for us, for our bodies, for our gender, for our spirituality, and actually how we live. Like, like what kind of world we live in, the fracture between those two. But before I do so, help me to pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for enough health and energy to be here uh, together this morning. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help me uh, to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people and help me to remember the things that will be. Bring people near, we pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Wherever we are on the spectrum of belief today, We ask, Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would woo by the gospel, that you would draw people in, that they would, uh, even if if we're here and and we don't exactly uh, sort of believe uh, these things to be true, uh, may you make it so that we want them to be true. So help me, Lord, to communicate your truth with beauty. And more than anything, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said... And the church said, so God creates the heavens and the earth, and from this humanity is formed, and this earthling is then put into the garden. Genesis 2.8 says that God himself planted a garden in Eden, and God takes the human, and he puts him in the garden, and he realizes this is the first time in scripture uh, where something is not good. He realizes that he is lonely. He needs a counterpart of his own flesh. He needs a woman, and, and things are good for max two, three verses. Like that's all we get, right? Like at the end of the Bible, there's a couple chapters where things get good again, but this is a thick book. And for two or three verses, things are, things are good. And the man, it says in, in the end of chapter two, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And Genesis 3 is right on the heels of this. And what we read earlier, what Courtney read earlier, stands at the very root. What, what we just heard Courtney read stands at the very root of everything that is wrong with the world. And this is what we must understand. I cannot stress this enough. 
Now, the, the Bible doesn't start in Genesis 3, but it includes Genesis 3. And if we skip over the reality of this brokenness, if we choose to ignore what happens here, listen, we're not going to understand the world. We're not even going to understand ourselves. To miss these implications of Genesis 3 is to actually cut ourselves off from reality. You, we are choosing by not paying attention to Genesis 3 to cut ourselves off from reality. Genesis 3 is a great and disastrous detour. And we can literally spend 20, 30, 40 weeks preaching on this one chapter. But for today's purposes, what I want to do is I, I want to talk about the implications. What, what becomes true of the world now that this happened? What is true of us? What is true of the world? What is true of our bodies and our gender and our spirituality because this happened? And so, unfortunately, I'm not going to go through every nook and cranny of Genesis 3 because I, I want to talk about what, what is true now because of it. So I'm assuming, I'm just putting it out there, I'm assuming that this is true. In particular, I want us to see how sin has wreaked havoc on our bodies and how it has distorted our understanding and experience of our gender and sexuality and how it has bastardized our spirituality. But before we get into that, I, I want to give you a framework of, that I hope is going to be helpful for us to navigate this text. And there are three concepts that we need to understand before we apply what happened in Genesis 3 to our bodies, our gender, and our spirituality. Uh, the first one is the power of sin uh, that I want us to understand. And then sins, right? Plural, the power of sin, sins, and brokenness. Because when we think about the word or concept of sin, we automatically go to wrong individual actions or behaviors. Now, sin is not not that, but it is so much more than that. We're going to miss out on a lot of what Scripture has to say about sin if we simply think about sin as doing something wrong. There's a much broader category in Scripture. The power of sin, capital S, sin, is spoken about in Scripture as a thing, as a noun. We think about sin as a verb simply, something that I do that's wrong or something that I don't do that I should have done. Remember, now, nouns are what person, place, things, right? There's a couple teachers in the room. I, I think I got that right. And, and verbs are doing words, right? And so we think about sin as simply a verb, as a doing thing. But scripture speaks about sin also as a noun, Fleming Rutledge, in her wonderful book, I think the greatest book on the meaning of the crucifixion, she says this, sin is not so much a collection of individual misdeeds as it is an active, malevolent agency, right? It's a thing. It's a noun bent upon despoiling, imprisonment, and death, the utter undoing of God's purposes. Misdeeds are a sign of that agency at work. They're not the thing itself. It is the thing itself that is our cosmic enemy. And this is why the very first story after the story that was read earlier in Genesis chapter 4, we, we may know it, is, is about Cain and Abel, right? So they, they, they both bring their offerings to God. Abel brings his best. Cain uh, brings, you know, like what he, what he has left over. And, and God is displeased with that. But before uh, Cain kills Abel, this is what God says to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Right? Sin here is a, a, is a noun. 
It's a thing that's crouching. It, it has personality. It has agency. It's a thing. It's not just something that you do. And what, what Cain ends up doing is a fruit of the fact that he did not control sin, but sin controlled him. This is the way that Paul can speak about sin throughout his letters in the New Testament, particularly in Romans chapter 7. Sin is a power. It's the thing itself, capital S, noun, sin. And we must have a category in our minds for this because everything is under the power of sin. Everything has been touched by sin. If we think about it in concentric circles, you can, you can, you can visualize it like this. There's this, this large category of the power of sin and everything is under its power. Everything in the world, the things unseen, the things seen, everything is now is under the curse of sin. There's not one square inch in the cosmos that hasn't been affected and infected by sin, by what happened in the garden. The world is now in bondage to sin, Scripture says, because of the fall of our first parents. And we, you, me, we at all one point were or are in bondage to sin. There's nothing excluded here because of the fall work which is a created good i know you don't think that i know you don't feel that that's why in 10 weeks we're going to be preaching on work work doesn't feel like a good created thing but it is but because of sin it is now broken and rather than the ground yielding beautiful uh, sort of uh, what is good it creates thorns and thistles for us now because of the fall, falling pregnant and raising children, which is a created good, is now broken. It involves heartache and pain and infertility and miscarriage. Nothing is left untouched. Our wills, our desires, our minds, our ability to think and speak, everything has been tainted by sin. An old way of speaking of this that you may be familiar with, that maybe uh, uh, um, has, hasn't sat well with you, uh, is, is this term total depravity, right? You may have heard that before, where everything is depraved, everything is wanton, uh, wicked, immoral, corrupted. What total depravity means, depravity means, is not that everything, listen, this is very important to understand. Total depravity does not mean that everything is as bad as it can be. That's not, that's not what that means. It just means that everything is bad. Let, let me give you an example. So if, if sin was the color blue, it doesn't mean that everything is the deepest and darkest blue that it can be. It means that everything has a filter of blue. Everything has been touched. Everything has been tainted by sin. Everything that is wrong with the world, everything that is contrary to God, his purpose, his character, his will, has its origin in the fall of Adam and Eve. Everything. Let, let, me, let, me, let me put this up for you. Uh, that everything, everything that is wrong in the world, Everything that is contrary to God, his purpose, his character, his will, has its origin in the fall of Adam and Eve, which has unleashed the power of sin into the world. And so we have this large category, power of sin, the noun that has been unleashed into the world and has touched everything. And then we have sins, right? This is what we normally think about. These, these are the, the things that we do or, left, or we leave undone that we are morally culpable for. We are morally responsible for the, the misdeeds uh, that, we, uh, 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 that we do. So we have two categories. We have the broad category of, of the power of sin, the noun, and it gives birth to the verb sin, the things that we do or, or leave undone. These are the things in the small circle that we will be held accountable for. But 
as we think about our experience of, the bro- of, of, of our bodies, of our gender, of our, of our spirituality, there has to be another category. It's not just the power of sin and sin. There is uh, something uh, called brokenness. There is brokenness that is a direct result, and I want to be real careful here. Brokenness is a direct result of being under the power of sin, but not everything that is broken is necessarily sinful. Do we we get that distinction? Let me say that again, that brokenness is a direct result of being under the power of sin, but not everything that is broken is necessarily sinful. Not every fracture in our lives is a direct result of our sinful moral action and behavior, but it does find its origin in the fact that the whole world is now plunged into the darkness of the power of sin. All right, let, let, me, let me try to make it make sense. When it comes to our bodies, our bodies are a great gift of God. The fact that we are embodied creatures, that we're made of flesh and bone, sinew and blood, cartilage and skin is not a mistake. And we need to get that. I know that so many of us battle uh, 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 with, with hating our bodies. I get that. But, but yet, they're not a mistake. They are a gift from God to us. And yet, we can do great harm to them and with them. Our bodies too fell with Adam and Eve. Our bodies are under the power of sin. And so we can commit great atrocities with our... We do commit great atrocities with our bodies. But we also experience brokenness in our bodies. It's something that I'm a little familiar with. When I was 25, 26 years old, I was diagnosed with a couple degenerative discs in my, in my back, some arthritis. The, the doctor's like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 25. She goes, you got a, you got a six-year-old man's back, you know? And so uh, there, it's just meant for me uh, that for the past 20 or so years, I've lived under the shadow of pain for most of my adult years, sometimes acute pain that would land me in the hospital. And as recently, some of you may know, I discovered, check this out, this is, this is fun. I started playing basketball recently, and now I don't have any cartilage in my knee, and I'm in pain all the time, and it's, it's just a mess. My, my, I'm fighting with my body constantly. It's breaking down on me. And if you know the story of our, of our family, it's not just me. Uh, Catherine also lives with debilitating chronic pain due to injury and other ailments, but the brokenness of the body that we all experience to one degree or another is not a result, a direct result of the sins that we commit. I can't repent for my knee pain. I can't repent for having a a bad back. The the pain that I feel in my body is not God punishing me uh, for the things that quote-unquote I've done, which are many. The brokenness of the world, even if it's a result of the noun sin, the power of sin, is itself not a verb sin. It's not sinful to develop cancer in the body. It's not sinful to have had an accident and become a paraplegic. It's not sinful to have been born with a diagnosis for a disability like autism or Down syndrome. It's not sinful that my niece was diagnosed with heterotaxy syndrome where her internal organs were mirrored and misplaced. It is not sinful to have to give your body up one day to Parkinson's disease, even as you fight with every fiber of your being to fight it off. This and more are part and parcel of living in a tragically, tragically broken world. We're all on even ground here. We experience our bodies now as battlegrounds rather than beautiful gardens. We are at war with ourselves. Our bodies are wonderful, and yet they are deeply wounded. Scripture can say this 
It'll say, wretched, it'll say, I praise you. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works for my soul knows it very well. I didn't wake up with Psalm 139 on my lips this morning. I was like, ah, this is what I woke up with. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Get me the, get me the Panadol, right? <laughs> we are truly a wonder. Our bodies are truly wonderful. And yet they're truly wounded. They're deeply, deeply wounded. Whereas Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame, as soon as they came up under the power of sin, they experienced debilitating shame. The first thing that they do is that they sew fig leaves together to try to cover themselves up. This is the, 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 the advent, right? The, the, the conception of the fashion industry. To accommodate for the strange alien presence of shame that something is wrong with me, that I'm wrong. Something is so deeply broken that I must hide it. Our bodies experience profound misalignment with the ways that God created us to be. And the greatest sign of this, the greatest sign that we experience misalignment with the way that God created us to be is that one day, each and every single one of us will breathe their last breath. Everyone. No one is excluded. It'll come for all of us. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, not, not, not to be morose, but even the babies among us, one day they will grow. And they will die. And they will all experience the last breath unless Jesus comes back. If there's a sign that something is wrong with the world, it's that every single one of us will breathe our last breath. Death, the, the, the greatest and most seemingly, seemingly, seemingly permanent sign that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And this is what I want to say. The, the brokenness of our bodies is the result of the capital S sin, the noun sin, the power of sin, but not all brokenness that you experience in your body is necessarily a result of the verb sin, of the lowercase s sin, the things that we do. Our gendered selves, how, do, how does this apply to our gendered selves? Our gendered selves are good news for the world. It's good news that God, make us equal, that God made us equal but sexually differentiated. It is a great gift that has allowed us to uh, populate the world, to be fruitful and to multiply. But sin has fractured our experience of gender in at least two ways. One externally, or several externally, I'll speak of one, and internally. First, externally, the, the gendered persons, Adam, the male, and Eve, the female, while originally created to work harmoniously for the purposes of God's creative order and goodness, they will now be at each other's throats. Those sexed beings who were supposed to complement each other are now at odds with one another. There is now enmity between the sexes. They will now use their unique gifts and their strengths to try to manipulate the other to dominate their counterpart. This is what scripture says, that, that because of sin, now uh, th there's going to be a desire for the husband, and the husband will rule over the wife. There is now a war of the sexes that has continued through the ages. That, that's one of the ways that it externally has affected our gender. But secondly, internally, because of the brokenness, I want to choose my words carefully, the brokenness that is in the world, there is now open the possibility where men and women will face deviations to God's created in, cre creative intention for gender internally. And let me make it plain. How, how should we think about 
How should we posture ourselves? How should we respond to something like gender dysphoria or transgenderism or other sexual minorities that may uh, uh, identify themselves with the LGBTQI plus community? And I, I want to say this, that this is not a homogenous group. They're often spoke, spoken of as just this one homogenous group. It is not. It is diverse. As much as our social media feeds may want to make us think that we can just place everyone in one category, that is not the case. I just want to say this. These are complex issues, and not just issues. They're not just issues. They are uh, complex realities that are involving people that God loves and Jesus came to seek after. That must be the very first thing we say, and that must be the posture that we continue in. Our posture must be one of love. Now, I don't have time to cycle through all the issues that may present themselves uh, in the modern world as we interact and interface uh, with uh, people in the LGBTQIA community, but I want to speak to a few specific areas. We must make room for the reality that the presence of sin, the power of sin, that issues into the world as brokenness has not just affected the immaterial, our thinking, our desires, but the material world as well. Our biology is also broken. About 1.7% of the world's population experiences intersex traits, a condition where someone may be born having both or a mixture of both of male and female reproductive systems and organs. And we need to understand this that intersex persons are not more broken than me or you. They're not more sinful than anyone else. It is not a sin for them to have been born that way. It is a biological reality that must be dealt with with the utmost grace and patience and care. In the same way, there are many people who are born with gender dysphoria, this psychological distress that someone feels when they believe they are quote-unquote in the wrong body. Our progressive culture will encourage those persons to pay attention to their core selves, quote-unquote, or their inner selves, and ignore the reality that we don't have bodies, but we are bodies, that we can actually transcend our biological selves. Rather, I, I want to say this, that with grace and truth, and I'm, I'm, this is real, with grace and truth, we must create a space in this church, not in just the church sort of general, but in this church whereby we help persons understand their distress as a result of the brokenness that is in the world and help them to navigate a better way to integrate their whole selves as created and sought out by Jesus. I want to make this real plain, that God created the male and female. This isn't a reality that we have the option to transcend or, or throw off through medical intervention. And at the very same time, listen to me here very carefully, at the very same time, we need to understand that we, the church, are called to help people navigate the brokenness of the world with grace and truth motivated by love. I want you to remember, you are not saved by your heterosexuality. That's not what saves you, by the way. Newsflash. You are, you are not saved by not having gender dysphoria. That's not what saves you. We're not saved by not being intersexed. And so if this is you, you, I want to say this clearly, that you have a place here at Anchor Southwest. Bring your struggle and your pain, however that may look like, your questions, your hurt, your confusion, and all the beauty that comes with who you are and who you're called to be in Christ because you are not the sum total of the ways that sin and brokenness has affected you. 
and may have distorted your mind and your body. You are more than that, and I want to say you belong here. And so sin has wreaked havoc on our bodies. It has distorted our understanding and our experience of gender. Finally, it has bastardized our spirituality, and I'm going to keep it relatively brief here. Because of the power of sin that we are in bondage to, we take the very breath of life. Remember, Genesis 2-7, he breathed he, like divine CPR into dirt, and it became a living human. And what we do with that breath right now, you and I, that what, what, was, what was designed to help us commune with God, we bastardize. It means that we use the life that God put in us, and we've modified it, We've altered it. We've corrupted it in a way that significantly, significantly deviates from its original intended purpose. And when we do that, when we do that, when we take what's called worship, when we take what was supposed to be directed at God, our spirituality, and we direct it at something else, it is called idolatry. And idolatry decreates everything. It deteriorates the whole Creation. Listen to the warning in Deuteronomy as the people of God were poised to enter into the land. It says this, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. So this is Moses speaking to the people just as they were about to enter the land. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware, lest you act corruptly by making carved images for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male and female. The likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, verse 19, lest you raise your eyes to the heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Now, if you read that backwards... This is what you find. It's actually Genesis 1 inverted. That when we take what is supposed to be directed to God and we give it to what he creates, the whole creation inverts itself. We actually go back to this chaos that the, the Spirit of God was hovering over in Genesis 1, 2. It's going against the grain of the universe. It's, uh, it's going against the creative intent of God. And in the end, what worship, what idolatry does, it actually harms the worshiper. We harm ourselves when we ascribe ultimate value to anything other than God, whether that be good things or evil things. It doesn't matter. When we ascribe ultimate value and worth to anything but God, we end up harming ourselves. This is what Paul will say in Romans chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts. He gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged, listen to this, this is so key, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator God who is blessed forever. Amen. And so this very breath 
this very life that was breathed into us by God so that we would worship him when we redirect it to the created order. And when that happens, what can only happen is that chaos is unfurled onto the world. Can we now see, can we appreciate just a little what the devastating effects of the power of sin and how it issues out in both brokenness and particular sins and how this destructive cycle just feeds on itself? The world has gone mad. Literally. And we are eating ourselves alive. Our very embodiment feels it. The disordering of our desires and our gender, we feel it. The misdirection of our worship that only produces death feels it. And all of this is unleashed onto the world because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, because they rebelled, they went their own way, they decided to believe the lie that God was somehow withholding goodness from them. And ever since that day in the garden, our embodiment, our gendering and sexuality, our spirituality has been compromised, and we could no longer in our own strength fulfill the call to be image bearers of God. The Imago Dei is marred, tainted, made weak to the point where there is nothing we can do in our own power to restore it. God called us to never make images of ourselves or, or, or of him or of any, anything else because he already did that. He's created the image of God in us. And then, and then when we failed, he sends himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ to be the image of God. I want to end here. I want to invite the band up. But taking upon himself the consequences of sin, breaking sin and the power of sin and the power of death, he receives upon himself, Jesus Christ receives upon himself the consequences and the punishment of the ways that we have bastardized our spirituality, the ways that we have uh, uh, misappropriated our gender and sexuality, the way that uh, uh, we have misused our bodies. And it's right there in Genesis 3.15 that God would see to it that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the, of the ancient serpent, the deceiver. And so that we who are imprisoned, every single one of us, under the bondage and the weight of sin would be free. I want, to, I want to end here with Romans chapter 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible, which says this, uh, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly. The, the, these two things are not at odds with one another. We can, we're, we're invited to groan. We're, we're invited to meet our pain and our confusion and our brokenness. And at the very same time, we wait eagerly. We groan and we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So whatever bondage that we may be under that's present in the room right now, we want to bind it and cast it in the name of Jesus. Let us with hearts full of assurance know this, that Christ has borne the penalty of our waywardness. If you hear anything about anything, about anything today, is that Christ 
has borne the penalty of the ways that we have been infected and affected by sin. And so we're free, knowing that even as our bodies decay, there are new ones waiting for us in the new heavens and the new earth. We are free knowing that even if we experience pain and confusion of disordered gender and sexuality, we will one day be fully healed and whole. We can be free now knowing that we can worship God our Father through Jesus in spirit and in truth. Free knowing that we've been given everything we need in the gospel to fulfill the mandate to image God in the world. Free to know that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this changes everything. Our sin, our brokenness. Listen, your sin, your brokenness, what you are experiencing even now, maybe acutely, is not the truest thing about you. We have so identified with how things have gone wrong that we forget what we are called in the gospel, that you're called beautiful and clean and new and holy. That is the truest thing about you. Our bodies, even as they may experience, we may experience them as gifts or curses. They will pale in comparison to the body that we will receive when we see Jesus. Our gender, even as we may experience our gender as the gift that it is, is still not the truest thing about you. And even if we experience it as a curse, that is still not the truest and deepest thing about you. Our spirituality, even as we find our hearts being directed to worship created things, even when we are tempted to worship the creature rather than the creator, we know that by faith, by his grace, and by his power, we can turn from worthless things and worship the true God. The power of sin, brokenness, death, even hell itself will be one day thrown into the lake of fire. Everything that you're experiencing now as a result of the brokenness of sin will one day be gone. And the scriptures talk, and this is, this is hard for me to believe, y'all. This is, this, I struggle, man, I, I, I struggle with, I pray that the Lord would help me to believe this truly. He says that everything we experience will seem light and momentary, but our suffering feels so heavy and forever. But I'm here to tell you that whatever you're experiencing, the misalignment between what God has created us to be and what we are now is light and momentary. So even if you find yourself fighting against your body, struggling with your gender and sexuality, being tempted to worship the created order, know this, that you are fighting a battle that has already been won. And so you are free. You are truly free. Now let's sing of our freedom. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would impress upon us uh, what we need in this moment. Lord, if we are uh, 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 down right now, Lord, may, may your Holy Spirit encourage us. Lord, for, for those who may be proud in the room, may you humble us. Uh, Lord, for, for those who may be far from you, may you draw us near by your beauty and by your grace, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. And the church said? Amen. One of the things that we do every single week is that we experience the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. And the way that we do that, if you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, and maybe this will be your first time, is that we invite you to take communion, to take the Lord's Supper. 
and this is a, a remembrance. We remember the fact that, that the body, that flesh, was not plan B. That, that this is good news. And that our bodies will one day be redeemed because his was broken. And so I invite you, as we sing, uh, to take communion with us. Bless you all.